from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Podcast episode 144, The Kessel Run. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm John. And welcome back, everyone. Yes, we are back again to do another Kessel Run. For those of you new to the show, what a Kessel Run episode is, is where we take a classic series related to Star Joe's in a way. This one definitely is in a way. Um, and we cover the first issue of it, talk about the property, and then in the future when we do a Kessel Run of the same title run, uh, we we go into the next issue, basically. Uh, Robert and I in the past have done the Wildstorm uh, Thundercats. We've done, I think, the first two issues of that. We're going to do more in the future. But for this episode, I brought my good buddy John on board because the property we're going to talk about, I know he has a love for as much as I have a love for. Um, so uh, what we're going to cover is the Micronauts. And, John, I thought it would be very fitting before we delve into the history of the Micronauts and everything else to kind of give our backstory as to where we first came across the property, whether it be the toy, the comics, whatever, uh, just to give the listeners an idea as far as what our history is with it personally. And then we can go into the history of the actual property itself. So why don't you kick things off? Guests should go first and uh, tell us about your experience with the Micronauts, how you came across this property. I have been waiting to do this for months. I love the Micronauts. I love the comic. I, I love the toys. I, As a little kid, I had a lot of the individual figures. I don't remember the you – know, obviously, we don't remember the cost of things. I understand that the toys were quite expensive at the time. So I only had some individual figures, but uh, but I really liked the design. I liked pulling the hands off, you know, that you could – interchange some of the parts almost like a lego type thing yeah uh, so i was had the experience with the toys i didn't get into the comic until much later so if you know the first issue came out what in 78 79, 79 somewhere in there yeah 79 i wasn't reading it until the mid 80s 
So I was reading near the end of the run into the what's the, I guess the next adventures or the new adventure book that okay. came out after and the X-Men Micronauts crossover. I know we'll talk a little bit about some of these things, but sure. went back and started reading the old stuff. You were kind enough to sell me a almost complete run of the original series. Yeah. And so I sat down with that stack and just started plowing through them. And nice man, great storytelling, amazing art. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I, I love this stuff and I'm really glad we're finally talking about it. Yeah. And, and, uh, to be fair, if it was up to John, we'd probably be on issue five at this point or six. Um, it was my doing that held us back a bit because I kept saying, yeah, we got to get together and do that. We got to get together and do that. And then I just and then finally it was like John was like, hey, are we going to talk Micronauts? I was like, yeah, I got time this week. What do you want to do? <laughs> so <laughs> um, I said it was Star Joe, somewhat Star Joe's related because this is kind of like uh, Star Wars in the sense that it's. Micronauts, like you said, started in the late 70s, but a lot of it, as far as the comic goes, actually happened in the 80s. Um, also, it's it's our show, and uh, this is something I grew up with, so, which is basically what this show is about, is stuff I grew up with, uh, or all of us grew up with, and uh, so that's why we're kind of covering it. For me, I did not have any of the toys. I didn't even know about the toys until I got I became an adult, to be honest with you. So, um, for me, it was all about the comic and this was one, I think I mentioned in an earlier episode, Micronauts was the first comic series where I made an attempt as a kid to try to get every issue. Uh, I was not successful, hence why you did not have a complete full run of, of it. Um, those are, and the issues you have are actually the ones I collected as a kid. Um, and, and gathered them up. And the, the cool thing was, and I try to do this now, um, because I, I got in so heavy into, like, I've got to read comics in a certain order. i got to pick a jumping on point, all that type of, you know, all that kind of craziness that we get clouded in our heads. When I was a kid and I was collecting the Micronauts, I bought the issue, I took it home, and I read it. It didn't matter if it was issue 35, issue 10, issue, <laughs> like, somehow it all worked in my head to just be these awesome, fantastical stories and I eventually figured out where that story took place compared to the other issues I already had. So well, quite, quite honestly at the time Ryan you probably could sit down and read a single issue and get a complete story. Oh yeah, very oh, much. I'm sorry is that a zing about okay. Anyway, <laughs> we'll keep going. But you know what I try to be like that now. Um I'll pick up an issue even if it's in the middle of the story and usually I find myself still being able to enjoy it. I try to have that mindset as a kid, but you're right. These early stories you could pick up an issue and get a full story, as we'll pretty much see in this very first issue. Um, but yeah, it was all about the comics for me, and I loved the characters, and we'll delve into those characters as, as we uh, uh, start getting into the property. But it was all about the comics for me, and then later on I found out, I was like, oh, there was actually a toy property that this was based on. So. Well, and what's what's I think this is an interesting case study as well this this particular series the the comic series yeah in that the toys do not totally equate to the to the comic and vice versa you know yeah. there are characters we're going to be talking about they were never made into toys or right. they were amalgams or, or changed enough that that you know marvel has these characters that even though the micronauts title with the Mego and every you know the the license is gone yep. they created characters that are in other stuff yeah which is really interesting because you think about a GI Joe or Transformers and some of the other type, or even you know, or even say Rom, yeah, which is also written by Mill Mantlo, which we'll have to talk about down the road. Yeah, another great toy line or 
bad toy line, amazing comic book. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it's kind of interesting to see that that Mantlo just came up with this idea from these little metal figures that really sprung into something very different and, yeah. and extremely memorable. So. No, and you're absolutely right. It, it was there was really not much of a backstory to these figures. The figures came out, and that was pretty much it. Um, so. Th- before we get too far ahead of ourselves with that, I'm going to go over just some information about the Micronauts. Obviously, feel free to jump in with anything that you know of or anything that uh, that this information kind of sparks. But I found a lot of this really interesting. Um, so the Micronauts is, is uh, the North American name for the Microman toy line that was created in uh, Japan by the company Takara. Uh, Takara is probably well known by a lot of Transformers fans because they create an impressive toy line right now that if you buy overseas. I know our friend Chris Campbell buys the uh, Takara uh, Transformers line. Uh, It was first released in Japan in 1974, uh, but the Micro Man uh, toys were imported to the United States by the Mego Corporation uh, in 1976 under the Micronauts brand name. So, uh, So the toy line actually started in 76. The comic didn't start until 79. We'll get into that in a second. But the line consisted of uh, three and a uh, qu- uh, three and three quarter inch tall figures, uh, vehicles, robots, play sets, and accessories. Uh, Mego discontinued the Micronauts line in 1980, so right at the start of the, the new decade, before going into bankruptcy in 1982. Um, in 2002 and 2003, Palisades Toys, which is uh, near and dear to my heart because they created the Muppets toy line. Uh, they reintroduced the toys to the U.S. market, but it didn't. Uh, they didn't find any success with that. And then there's been other companies, including Soda Toys, S-O-T-A, and Hasbro, that have attempted to revive the Micronauts toy line, but so far they have not been successful at it. So um, now the Micronauts figures were marketed as actually being three and three quarter inch cyborg beings hailing from the fictional planet of Micro Earth and disguising themselves as toys. So that was the original idea behind the toy line. Uh, the Micronauts toys were known for their high number of articulation points. Uh, they averaged 30 articulation points. Imagine, Can you imagine that now? Yeah. <laughs> what they would cost. And again, I've always been told they were very expensive, and I'm sure somebody may remember what those individual carded figures may have cost yeah. in, in the mid-'70s. I, I would love to see that because uh, I, I do remember – the movement and like I said, the they were really kind of like Lego in that you could interchange things, and I yep. always thought that was really really cool. Yeah, the um, to put it in perspective too, as far as toys that came out just around this, well, a little bit after this toy line started, you have the Star Wars uh, action figures that came out that had five points of articulation. These had thirty points. These had six times right. as many points of articulation as a Star Wars toy. So. Um, the toys included vehicles and robots, and all the Micronauts toys were interchangeable, like you were talking about. They had uh, five millimeter connectors and ports that could be transferred from one toy to another, which actually plays into the story in a sense, because in the story, Baron Cars of the Big Bad Guy has the body banks, where, right. where he can get parts that he needs to resurrect people or repair himself, so... Um, the initial Mego series in 1976 included the following products. So there was, in the figures, there was a Croyer, uh, Biotron, Gal- a Galactic Warrior, Microtron, a Space Glider, and a Time Traveler. So those were the figures. 
the vehicles were the Crater Cruncher, the Galactic Cruiser, uh, Hydra, Hydrocopter, uh, Photon Sled, and Ultronic Scooter. And then there was bases and play sets, which were the Astro Station, the Mobile, uh, Mobile Exploration Lab, and the Strata Station. Now, the Micronauts sold extremely well for Mego. Uh, at one point, they were generating more than $30 million in sales, and the company itself was only making $110 million. So it was a huge toy line, huge seller for them at one time. This must have been right after their, what, 8-inch, 9-inch fig doll, the yeah. doll-type figures that, yeah. that most people can you know equate with Mego. Yep. That must have been on the decline. This was kind of the rise, kind yep. of interesting. Yep. Uh, and then in 2002, Palisades Toys bought the rights to manufacture Micronauts, assuming that the original tooling and molds were available. However, they found out that this was not the case, <laughs> and they ended up asking collectors to donate unopened toys to replicate the figures. Uh, however, they found out that a lot of the figures had de uh, defective and broken parts, uh, and many were returned by consumers who found that they had uh, been given defective replacements. Um, in November, on November 5th of 2009, Hasbro announced plans to relaunch the Micronauts with the cooperation of Takara. How, obviously, that has not happened yet. Um, and then several, uh, going into the comics, uh, several comic book series were based on the Micronauts toys. Uh, Marvel Comics did it from 1979 to 1986. Image Comics did it from 2002 to 2003. And Devil's Due, uh, which we're very familiar with when it comes to G.I. Joe, um, had the comic rights in 2004. I'm, I'm curious, Ryan, did you ever read any of the Image or DDP books? I read, the, I actually read and own uh, the Image books, and I actually thought the Image books were actually pretty good if it's the, it is the Image ones I'm thinking of. Yeah, the Image ones were pretty good. The Devil's Do ones, I don't know if I ever got those. I was actually surprised to even see that they were. It was listed when I was looking up information about the Micronauts. So, did you ever read those? I, you know, I, I, I was in a fifty cent bin somewhere several years ago, plowing through and found this relaunch. And I don't know if it was Image or DDP. I didn't care for it because, okay. again, I think part of it for me, some of those characters from that Marvel run yes. aren't in there. Right. And I think there's such a you know, I don't want to say it's like Snake Eyes not being in GI Joe or Optimus Prime not being in Transformers, that's what it's kind of like. Yeah. You know, to not have Bug or Octurus Ran or something. Well, anyway, right. get right. ahead of ourselves. But yeah. Yeah, but no, I, I agree. Some of that stuff from 10, 12 years ago, I, it didn't care for it much. Yeah. Um, and they, they made a valid, uh, yeah. I would say a valid attempt to try to replace those characters. Sure. Because um, there there was still, there was character kind of like Bug, but not really. There was a character kind of like Arcturus Ron, but not really. <laughs> so. I enjoyed them for what they were and what they were attempting to do. Um, it was their run was a little short, and they just—I I assume it just wasn't successful for them. Um, and then Devils Do, I again, I'd have to look to see if I even have those issues. I don't believe I do, but I'm very interested to see them. From what I found out here, um, and I think it's somewhere in my notes here, uh, that only lasted three issues. So, right. <laughs> so. Um, in November of 2009, Hasbro announced that director J.J. Abrams was negotiating to produce a film based on the Micronauts. 
uh, very very related to this show, considering J.J. Abrams is doing the Star Wars movie. <laughs> um, in March of uh, 2013, uh, IGN interviewed uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, and they said they were working on a screenplay, and the film was on Paramount's list of possible productions. So that was only a couple years ago, so I'm wondering if there's still that possibility out there, um, if they're still kind of testing the waters to see. I think I personally think that with the success of all of these uh, comic book movies, that there's a higher chance of them looking at this property again. Just my thought on that. I, I think there is a, a tremendous opportunity, especially from the cosmic perspective. You know, if you think yeah. about like a Guardians and the kind of the world built, you know, the, the cosmic yeah. idea there. There's so much of that in this. Yeah. And that, you know, I think that. Again, according to the characters they have access to, yes, yes, <laughs> you know, I think there, I think there'd be tre- a tremendous opportunity to put together something that could be really entertaining. I would love it, and I don't see why it couldn't happen. But I would love it if Hasbro could work out a deal with the rights with Marvel to do a comic series and a and a movie through Marvel Studios. I think that would be mm. fantastic because then you don't have to worry about those characters not showing up because they can certainly use them because Marvel's still using those characters uh, right. occasionally. So, but, but what, but it would be interesting to see who had the rights to the title, right. The Micronauts name, right. Because, because once Miko went out of business, I think there's, there's always been this, it's interesting because again, these, these, these Micronaut, the, the Marvel runs have never been put out in trade. Right. And I understand part of that is because of the naming yeah. issues and who, who owns it when the company that, created it or, you know, started it goes out of business. It's right. kind of a, we need a trademark attorney around to help yeah. us understand how that works. So from my understanding is that from, and again, I don't know all the details, but from my understanding, Hasbro owns the full rights to them. Um, so like I said, to me, from what I understand of it, it would just be Hasbro working out that deal, which in my eyes, Hasbro creates toys. If they can get a successful movie and comic book series out there from Marvel, then they can create all these toys and have a very successful toy line. So it, it, but again, like you said, there could be more details to it that we don't know. The other great thing about it is if they could work out that deal, we would see reprintings of this original run in trade or hardcover form. So if they have the full rights to do, to, to do that. So I'd love to hear, I'm sorry, Robert wasn't able to join us. And I know we're not talking about the unity book. Sure. You know, you had mentioned earlier about, hey, you know, Robert drew some Micronauts in the yep. the Unity. I've never even – do you own that? I've never I do. even seen it. I, I take it back. I've seen some of the original art that he had, but I never read that book. Yep. I don't even know. Yep. Was it just kind of an image of Micronauts on there? No. Or was it the actual little piece of the story, or how did that work? The Micronauts was the driving story behind all the other properties. Ah. So there was actually – it opens with the Micronauts characters – uh, so you have a courier and, and stuff. Um, obviously they couldn't use the Marvel characters, but they, he did, they did a really good job of like starting the story. And then it opens up to other dimensions, which is how they introduce like gem and mask and all that type of stuff. And then it ends with the Micronauts. So it's all part of a Micronaut story of sorts okay, to cool. introduce these properties. Um, you're going to be at, uh, I assume you're going to be at Baltimore this year, correct? I will be at Baltimore. Okay. Yes. I will bring the issue with me so you can read it. Excellent. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, It'd be great. Yeah. I will make myself a note. So, um, otherwise I will forget. 
<laughs> and please feel free to remind me when we get close to that time. I, I will do my best. I, can, I, I promise. Mine. I'll do my best. Um, I, I'm sure I'll get to read it at some point, but I appreciate yes, you doing that. Yes. Um, I went out of my way to get that issue because I was very interested to see what they were doing with that one. So, um, so the uh, Micronauts began life as a comic as comic book characters thanks to a fortuitous accident on Christmas 1977. Uh, writer Bill Mantlow's son, Adam, opened a new present, a line of Mego Corporation Micronauts action figures. Uh, seeing the toys, Mantlow was instantly struck by inspiration to write their adventures, and he convinced editor-in-chief Jim Shooter to get the comics license for the toys, and Mantlow was hired to script their series which I thought was really cool. It's like he saw something and he's like, well, I could do a story with them. And he, you, I, like you mentioned with Rom, Bill Mantlo was like, in my eyes, in the especially in the 70s and 80s, was like the king of taking a property that was nothing and turning it into something. <laughs> I, I think he was just a tremendous workman writer. In other yeah. words, he, you know, he, he, Micronauts, his, his ROM, I will talk about it sometime down the road, I'm sure. Yeah. His Hulk run was great. I mean, he did so much great stuff. Um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, obviously when we talk about G.I. Joe in 1982, right. we get to that point. Nobody wants to do it. Larry Hammond says, well, I'll do it. Right. From the standpoint that they kind of said, oh, you know, property books will last 12 issues. Yeah. And then we get this amazing run. So Marvel... To their credit, they they figured out they got the right people in the right places because how many Rom is even a better example. Uh, I know we keep saying Rom, but yeah, that that toy was horrible. Yeah, I Those had comics it. are amazing, and they <laughs> did what ninety six issues or yeah. I mean it had a heck of a run. Yeah, too, and so there there's something to be said for being able to tell a compelling story. Yeah, using these characters that you know even when the toys fade away that they. We're still talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually had the ROM toy as a kid. Um, I actually didn't think it was a terrible toy. It's just it had no real story behind it. It had nothing. I didn't, or at least I didn't know the story at the time behind it with the dire wraiths and everything else. Uh, and they only mentioned that in the commercial. Really, Bill Mantlow is the one that created the real story behind all of that. So. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I did like the toy as a kid. I God, I wish I still had it because that thing's goes for a fortune now but <laughs> but but uh especially if you had all the parts which i did so um but it yeah it was it was a fun toy but uh yeah i never had the micronauts now in regards to the comics the first series of micronauts ran from january 1979 to august 1984 it included 59 issues and two annuals uh it featured art by michael golden who we're familiar with on uh doing gi joe and uh, there was other artists, which I found interesting, like Howard Chaikin, who we're familiar with doing Marvel's Star Wars. Uh, and who also, when he was, I believe when he was drawing this book, was listed as Howie. Oh, nice. really early in his run. <laughs> we'll have to look and see, but I'm pretty sure it's Howie Chaikin. Yeah, course. we'll have to check that out. Uh, Steve Ditko, who's well known for uh, his work on Spider-Man. Um, just a couple other names I'm seeing here. Uh, Gil Kane, very well known. Uh, Butch Geis. Uh, Mike Vosberg. And uh, Kelly Jones. So, uh, Micronauts along with Moon Knight, I found this really interesting. Micronauts along with Moon Knight and Kazar the Savage became one of Marvel's first ongoing series to be distributed exclusively to comic book stores, beginning with issue number 38, which was in February of 1982. So, only comic book shops 
starting with issue number 38, were able to get issues of Micronauts. Yeah. So uh, in the UK, uh, the Micronauts was first included as a supporting strip in Marvel UK's Star Wars Weekly comic book. Hey, it's our connection. <laughs> it's our connection. Um, before, uh, let's see, then in uh, January 1979 for several months, and then in the first nine issues of Star Heroes Pocketbook, uh, which it joined Battlestar Galactica with that. And then uh, before that, or then it joined uh, Future Tense reprint anthology. Unlike the U.S. version, these strips were printed in black and white. So we got the color version. The U.K. got the black and white version of it. Um, the second volume of Micronauts was subtitled The New Voyages, which you mentioned earlier. Um, and it was published from October 1984 to May of 1986. It ran for 20 issues. Uh, the series was written by Peter Gillis and featured uh, early career artwork by Kelly Jones. Uh, and then uh, after that, not too long after that, Marvel let the license lapse. And uh, from the late 1990s, the characters Marionette, Arcturus, Ran, and Bug uh, appeared in various Marvel titles. Uh, without referencing the Micronauts label, so they could appear, they could use these characters. They just couldn't be tied into. Oh, these are the Micronauts. I know in some issues I read there was little plays on words <laughs> that they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, Bug has appeared in in a solo one shot, and uh, he also appeared together with cosmic hero Star Lord as part of the new incarnation of the Guardians of the Galaxy. So very topical for uh, the hit movie that happened last year and, and that you had mentioned earlier as far as this might be a good idea to bring <laughs> to the forefront in the movie, especially with the success of Guardians of the Galaxy. So um, in June of 2002, a new series by Image was uh, began, with uh, which published for 11 issues before its cancellation. Uh, the same year saw a four-issue limited series featuring Baron Cars' origin. And his relationship with the time traveler entity. Uh, and then in March of 2004, a new series was launched by Devil's Due, mixing new characters with those based on the toy line. And the series ran for three issues, featured art by former Micronauts artist Pat Broderick. And more issues were solicited, but never appeared on shelves, despite some cover art being released. And that's because Devil's Due uh, went under. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's that's the history that I have on the on the Micronauts. Grab your helmets because it's time to assemble Mask. The GeekCast Radio Network has launched Mask to Mayhem with your hosts Optimus Solo and TFG and Mike. This podcast covering all 75 episodes of Mask will feature in-depth analysis of every episode, talk on the toys, and more. Mask Mayhem will run 30 podcast episodes. You can find us at iTunes and on www.geekcastradio.com. Get your spectrums ready as podcasting is the ultimate weapon. Pixels in the Animation is the next cartoon review podcast series in the GeekCast Radio Network's long history of review series. We've had Transformers, He-Man, and Mask as far as the cartoon review podcasts we have done. 
now we bring in TV's Mr. Neil as he and TFU and Mike break down nine video game cartoon series. Steve Megatron will join us for the Mega Man and Sonic episodes. We'll be reviewing and analyzing every episode of the Mario, Zelda, Captain N, Mega Man, Donkey Kong, and Sonic cartoons. You can expect us to go in-depth and also talk about the game franchises that spawn these cartoons. So tune in summer 2013 as we find the pixels in the animation. Ready to delve into issue one? I am. I am ready. Awesome. So as always, I know you've heard these episodes. Uh, I'm going to do a summary of, of the issue. And wherever you feel appropriate, feel free to chime in with your thoughts. Uh, perspectives, whatever, what have you. Um, the one thing I, I wanted to touch on first is the the cover of the issue. Uh, I know you say you didn't have it there in front of you, but I'm sure you can picture it in your head. We have uh, Baron Karza looking very Darth Vader-ish, <laughs> <laughs> hovering over. Keeping in mind, this comic came out in 1979. There was a movie that came out two years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> now the toy there was a Baron Karza toy out. There was a Baron Karza toy, yes. Right. So it's like which came first the chicken or the egg? Was someone inspired by a Baron Karza toy to make Darth Vader <laughs> or what? So um so yeah, so he's looming over our our core group, which is uh a Croy year, which when I was a kid, I thought it was Acro Year. Acro Year, I yes. <laughs> It wasn't until years later that someone says, oh, it's a Croyer. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so, um, and then we have Arturus Ran in the forefront looking very Han Solo-ish with his blaster going. Uh, we have uh, Princess Marie, who's commonly known as Marionette. And then we have Bug kind of looming in the background with a spear. Um, I always loved on the cover how they put uh, Baron Karza up in the upper left box area. Yeah. Uh, with his hands glowing, looking very powerful and menacing. I uh, love that the cover says, still only 35 cents. So there was evidently a big uh, push by Marvel to broadcast that they are still only charging 35 cents. I wonder I wonder if the distinguished competition had gone up. I believe so, but I time. think it was okay. due to... It's if hard I, to remember. I you know, wasn't yeah. really buying a lot of comics at that time, but be sure there was something to that yeah and i think there was something tied into the publishing who had rights to publish how many issues at that time too and everything so i think there was more behind it than just that but it was definitely a strategic move on their part mm. um i love that the title says they came from inner space so evidently we're eventually going to run into martin short and dennis quaid <laughs> sorry i couldn't help myself that's okay you get injected, <laughs> right right <laughs> Um, all right, so going into uh, the issue itself, it opens up with, and I found this interesting, so it opens with chapter one, and it says Homeworld, and later on we'll see a chapter two after just like a few pages, and then there's no more chapters after that. <laughs> I, I, I think there's something, before we jump in too far, we, sure. we were talking a little before before we started recording, uh, for those of you that, that have never read this book, you know, Bill Mantlo wrote the majority, I think he wrote almost all the original run. And uh, Golden drew, I think, the first 12 issues, 13 issues, something Sounds like that. Sounds about right, yeah. Um, and I asked I asked Ryan to look it up, and it says on the first issue, writer under Mantlo's name, hyphen storyteller, hyphen artist under Michael Golden's name. Right. I was really fortunate to attend a uh, lecture that Golden did on storytelling uh, several years ago when he was here in Richmond, and he talked about 
Micronauts and how the relationship that he had with Mantlo, that they, 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 it was not just, here's a script, go draw it. They were so in communication all the time and bouncing ideas and sketch here and write here and what have you, that they actually went to Marvel and said, we want to be listed as storytellers. Yeah. And I believe in later issues, it doesn't even have writer and artist. I think it just says storytellers, but I think that's a really interesting, interesting note about yeah. the relationship. And again, these first mini issues are just so well done. Oh yeah. You can, you can see how effective the relationship was in, in the, in the product yep. being so, so strong. So Absolutely. I, think that's, I thought it was kind of an interesting. No, note. I, I totally so. agree. Uh, and also interesting when it comes to the credits. So of course it always says Stan Lee presents Micronauts. Um, but like you said, it says Bill Mantlo hyphen Michael Golden and the writer part falls under Bill Mantlo and the artist wording falls under Michael Golden and between them, it says story storytellers. The other thing I find interesting with the credits is it says uh, the next credit is Joseph Rubenstein, and he's listed as an embellisher, <laughs> not an editor or anything else, just embellisher. What that means, I don't really know. <laughs> I I think he was he was an inker. Okay, but it might be that it was almost complete. Who knows? We we don't have our artist pals on here to right. tell us what the lingo is, but I believe. The embellisher kind of goes in, you know, well, I think it goes back to the storytelling piece and what was breakdowns and finishes and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think Joe Rubenstein was doing some, some embellishing on the artwork. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense because we do have uh, a letterer and a colorist. So the letter is Tom Orzakowski and colorist is Glynis uh, Ween. So the only thing we don't have a credit for is the inker. So that would make a lot of sense. Um, we have editor is A.L. Milgram, and we have uh, editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter, who we mentioned earlier. So uh, we open up with a prince and a princess uh, running from the Accroyer uh, Air Patrol, which gets really confusing in this issue <laughs> <laughs> because we have the Accroyer Air Patrol and we have a character called Accroyer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the prince is Prince Argon and the princess is uh, Princess Marie and their brother and sister and there's a rebellion going on hmm uh, <laughs> there was a lot of um, Star Wars things that popped in my head when I read this as a kid and when I read it now and some of them are totally just coincidental of course and some of them I'm like did was there any thought behind it because uh, and, and I'll get into some of the ones that were totally, you know, just coincidental because Star Wars actually did something later that appears in this issue that I'm like, OK, that seems very Star Wars ish. But that part of Star Wars didn't exist right when right. this issue went on. So this does have a rebellion. It's kind of, it's a very different kind of rebellion. At least it starts off as a different kind of rebellion from what we would see in Star Wars, because in Star Wars, you had the big evil empire and they're being taken down by a ragtag group of rebels. This is the elitists are actually being attacked, um, who eventually become our heroes, and they become their own form of rebellion. Um, so this prince and princess, they're, they're being uh, led by the, uh, the Accorier Patrol, and they get basically led into a, um, funneled into an area where a lot of the people protecting them are shot down. 
and they're shot down by uh, I'm trying to remember what they're called the do- uh, like the dogs or something like that the soldier dogs and uh, they don't think they're going to get out get out of it but they actually do find some shelter um, and there's telepathy in this world which I didn't remember uh, they can receive communications through te- uh, telepathy and it's mentioned a couple times so they actually right. find this shelter due to some tele- uh, telepathy that they had received from a person called Oberon which is an interesting mythological name so um, when we go into uh, it's also fun to note is that the ads in these issues just take me way back so <laughs> we actually have ads for uh, send for the Marvel superheroes and you can get your subscriptions and if you order six you get a free subscription to Star Wars just wow. just to let you know <laughs> how much was a subscription uh, let's see a, like three or four bucks for a first uh, one year subscription it's four dollars and fifty cents. Each additional subscription was only $4. You're paying $4 now for one comic. <laughs> you don't need to tell me. <laughs> Imagine paying $4 for 12 issues. <laughs> um, we also have the 1979 Heralds a New Year of Marvel Greatness, and we actually have like a bunch of collections, it looks like, which uh, was unheard of at that time. Uh, and they also have calendars to go with them, so... <laughs> Um, so we have, uh, getting back to the story, we have Prince Aragon and Princess Marie. They make it to their safe haven, um, and they have they come across their roboid, so R-O-B-O-I-D, uh, which is Microtron, who, to me, other than he speaks, reminds me of very much of like an R2-D2 unit. It's got the little treads. He's a short little squat droid. It's kind of a smartass at times. <laughs> um and we find out that there is something called the Enigma Force. <laughs> Not saying there's any similarities whatsoever, but this this Enigma Force can be called upon uh, to help in dire situations. And uh, Princess Marie finds that her bro- her brother Prince Argon has actually called used the Enigma Force to call upon the Time Traveler. And the Time Traveler is his appearance is what I was referring to as just a coincidence in how it related to Star Wars in my mind. Because when the Time Traveler appears, he's like this apparition-looking guy with like glowing around him and everything else. And it reminds me very much of how Obi-Wan Kenobi showed up to Luke in uh, Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi and everything. You know, he's this glowing figure that's wise and bit of mystery to well, it and, and everything. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, the Time Traveler was one of the figures in the original run. Yes. And they had different, I think they had different colors, or, you know, they were yeah. transparent. and Yes. So, yeah, so it's kind of, get a little more mystical here, but, yeah, there is yep. at least that one connection to the, uh, one of the connections to the actual figure line there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what Princess uh, Marie finds out is that her brother uh, has used the Enigma Force, and, unfortunately... Uh, she knows that this means that Baron Karza is going to know where they're located at, but he's uh, her brother, Prince Argon, is using this as a way to make sure that she's able to escape. And he actually sacrifices himself so that she can she can get away. Um, and Baron Karza comes blasting in. Prince Argon is killed. And there is Baron Karza standing there 
with Shaitan uh, or Shaitan. Uh, I pronounce it Shaitan. It, it's supposed to be like Satan. Okay. Well, it's Shaitan. So Shaitan. Yeah, that, yeah. That's kind of the. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of like his right hand man, uh, as far as being in, tr- in control of the Acroyer Guard and everything else. And we do find out later in the issue that Shaitan is actually the brother of Acroyer. Right. So the character of Croyer, not the patrol. Yes. Yes. Oh my God, that oh, so confusing at times. <laughs> um, and this is really interesting too. So I did mention that Baron Carza looks a bit like Darth Vader in the face. However, the rest of his lower half does not look like Darth Vader because the lower half is that of a horse. At times, not always, but at times. And in this scene. He, he looks like a centaur. He's got the low, lower half of he's, a... He's in his armor. He's in his battle gear. Exactly. Um, and he mentions to take that they need to take uh, Prince Argon to the body banks, which mentioned earlier is what he uses to keep everyone uh, healthy, including himself. Because the reason this rebellion happened, and I forgot to mention this, but it's very important, this rebellion happened against the elite because Baron Karza promised everyone eternal life. And let's face it, if you have a chance to live forever or eventually die, there's going to be a lot of people that choose they want to live forever. So they don't know the price they're paying for that, but that's what they want. So um, we do get an ad for the world's biggest and best comic convention. It it was going to happen on November 24th through 26th at the Statler Hilton. So just to let you know, you can mark your calendars. Um, (laughs) Was that in New York? Uh, let's see. That was actually in yeah in Freeport, New York. Okay. So, um, so now we get into chapter two, and this one uh, chapter two is called Homecoming, and we open up with uh, Arcturus Ron, Commander Arcturus Ron, uh, showing up in his ship, which is the HMS Endeavor. And I'm not sure if we ever get what HMS stands for, but because uh, the ship is mostly just called the Endeavor later on. I, th- I think it has something to do with micro ship. Okay. The only to it, I think. Uh, that would make sense. I seem to remember it has something to do with uh, something to do with with micro ship, but okay. he's, yeah. So that that makes a lot of sense. So um, the the ship reminds me of a cross between the Starship Enterprise and the Millennium Falcon. It's got a little bit of similarities of both to it. It's almost like blended together. Um, but he's returning home after being gone for, I believe it's a thousand years. A thousand years, yeah. Yep. So he's landing, and he has his companion with him, which is Biotron, who actually wakes him because he's been in this uh, slumber this whole time, which is how he's able to survive for a thousand years. Yeah. Um, which makes you wonder, why did he have to go? Why right. Just, <laughs> just send the robot. <laughs> just send the robot. Um, I always think of, with Commander Ron, I always think of Adam Strange, because that's the planet that Adam Strange in DC Comics goes to, he goes to the planet Ron, which is spelled the exact same uh, way, okay. too. So um, so he returns home, and uh, they ask if uh, he's greeted by a bunch of soldiers, and they ask, are you Commander Ron? And he says, yes, uh, I'm Arcturus Ron, and all of a sudden they decide to open fire. So they're known as the Dog Soldiers, and they say, you know, ready, aim, fire, and he runs. He tries to run back up the ramp, but he does get hit. He's not killed. He's just knocked out, and he's taken to uh, a prison area. And the prison area is, I'm trying to remember what it's called here. It's, it's called the Pleasure Pits, even though it's anything but that. 
<laughs> it's like somehow Logan's run. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, we have a bunch of aliens that are surrounding him as he wakes up. Uh, in between those two pages, however, we do get another nice little Star Wars ad in here. It's a whole page of Star Wars toys and memorabilia that you can purchase, and you just clip out this little thing and send in your funds. Um, and uh, there's things like the action figures, the X-Wing fighter, radio-controlled R2-D2, Star Wars stand-up posters, Star Wars pendants, Star Wars rings, Star, uh, R2-D2 and Chewbacca plushie toys, and the 1979 Star Wars calendar. So... It was it was just a whole page. So you again, it's 1979. Marvel is still milking Star Wars as much as possible. I'm sure at this point there's been rumors of a, a new movies already in production and everything else. So they're really trying to promote it as much as possible. Um, getting back to the story, uh, one of the um, aliens that's in the pleasure pits wants to basically eat Arcturus Ron and Arcturus Ron, before he can be attacked, is flung up in the air. This character, Bug, who we mentioned earlier, catches him. And we find out who threw him up in the air was a Croyer, who's in the Pleasure Pits as well. Um, we find out that a Croyer is actually meant to uh, protect Arcturus. We don't really know why yet. Um, Bug... in introduces himself to Arcturus Ron, takes his helmet off, and, and Arcturus says that, uh, notices that he's an insectivore, and he's like, but how? He's like, we, I didn't discover that until years, you know, many, many years ago, and we find out that while Arcturus Ron's been gone, and he was traveling at light speed, that warp speed has been invented, so it's a whole different world he's coming back to. And again, why did we send him out sleeping? <laughs> I had I had to look. It is a homeworld micro ship. Okay, good to know. Thank you for looking that up. Um, Arcturus looks out the little cell bars and he notices that there is a girl dancing in a very skimpy outfit, and then there's also Biotron, and the girl is really Princess Marie, but everyone thinks that she's a robot, that it's a new Roboy model that was created. Um, and they refer to her as a lovely marionette. And we find that that name will stick with her for quite a while. Um, Arcturus uh, starts saying, like, you know, that can't possibly be uh, a roboid. And Bug is about to tell him who that is, but uh, Croyer stops him. And I was wrong. There is actually a Chapter 3 in here. Chapter yeah. 3 is Escape. So uh, the next day... We're at the arena, and we have Baron Karza and Shaitan, and there's also a Shadow Priest sitting there, and they are watching Marionette and Bio, uh, Microtron dancing around and everything else. And then all of the people that were in the Pleasure Pits, all the aliens and everything else, are brought in for this big battle that's going to take place. And Baron Karza calls in the death tank, which is this huge monstrosity. It reminds me of something out of like Mad Max or something like that. Right. <laughs> so, um, and then the next page, we actually get um, a one page thing that I, I think will be interesting to use in the, uh, maybe in a future episode, just to 
give a summary of each of the characters, but they actually have a page that's, that says, meet the Micronauts, and they actually introduce every single character, which I thought was really cool. Um, it gives some mystery to some of the characters and everything else, but um, this is where it really gives a lot of lot more detail as far as who these characters are, and I thought that was really cool to kind of include that in the first issue of, like, I know you've been reading these characters, but here's who they are. So... Uh, we also get an ad for a, a BB gun, <laughs> which would never happen. Yeah, which you would never have today. It was for the Crossman air gun. Um, that would never appear in a comic book today. <laughs> um, so the death tank starts attacking them. Uh, Bug reveals that they never bothered to check him for small weaponry, and he actually has a packet bomb that he throws into the death tank. And it causes it to blow up, and that's when Arturus Ron notices the death tank is not just a machine, but there's actually uh, some li something living that's kind of tied into it as well. So a lot of these machines that Baron Karza has are not just machines. So that kind of goes back to the toy line where they were meant to be cyborgs. So I, find, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um... So Baron Karza, or Shaitan, actually notices that they're escaping, and Baron Karza is not nervous at all about it, and uh, Acroyer delivers a, a blow to the death tank that allows them to get close to escaping, uh, and this is when the time traveler shows up, and uh, uh, Arturus asks, you know, who are you, and he says, I have many names, Commander, and I have lived them all. Some of some call me the Enigma Force, but you shall know me as the Time Traveler. And now, Commander, I think the time has come to make good your escape. And the Death Tank is still trying to fight, but it's to no avail. Uh, so Shaitan actually sends in the Acroyer's patrol uh, to try to stop them. Uh, Acroyer, the character, knocks down a wall so they can escape. There is actually a... Uh, chariot waiting for them to, to get out of there. Um, and Acroyer actually grabs one of the Acroyer <laughs> patrolmen, pulls him down, says, uh, I'm going to take care of my turncoat cousins, um, and bashes them. We kind of find out that uh, Shaitan is the prince of the Acroyer patrol, but it seems like there's some type of blood feud between Acroyer and Shaitan. And we find out more of that, of course, later in the series. Um, all of a sudden, Marionette screams out uh, Dalin and Sepsis. And this throws Arcturus Ron off. Dalin and Sepsis tends to be this thing that people cry out in this world when, you know, they're just shocked or surprised by something or, or it's, some, it's like what they pray to. So it's, they sound like they're deities. But what we find out is those are actually Arturus Ron's parents. Yep. And they are the first ones to ever try to defy Baron Karza because we find out in this issue, Baron Karza used to be Dr. Karza a thousand years ago. And he was instrumental in getting Arturus off planet and sent down his mission. So maybe there, there's a little bit of a reason why he was sent out. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Karza tries to take, you know, do what he's doing now. And Dallin and Sepsis uh, defy him and try to stop him. And now they've become, like I said, these deified 
uh, people, but to Arcturus, they were just his parents. Uh, we then get an ad for Captain Marvel meets the Dreadnought, which is a uh, Hostess fruit pie uh, ad, which I always loved those back in the kit back in the day. Um, <laughs> we have Baron Karza uh, says there's something unknown at work here, and that which we cannot fathom must be must sometimes be made to reveal itself, and that's why he's letting them escape. Uh, they fly off in the Endeavor. And some patrol ships come after them, and he decides that they're going to go to the... Uh, Arcturus Ron decides they're going to go to the fringes uh, and where he, he has traveled in the past, uh, but they've never crossed over before. Well, this time they're going to cross over. And we find out that they are all... And he also states that this crew, he tells Biotron, this crew that we're with right now, they are going to be uh, with us until this, we see this thing through. So we've established the team at this point. And uh, they push through the fabric of the microverse. They go to the fringes of the microverse. And uh, we find out that they are about to travel to Earth. And then it goes into issue two. <laughs> so, and they tell you, don't dare miss our second, our second census-shattering issue on sale in just 30 days. Be there. So... A fun issue. A uh, in one issue we've established the team, which I is not done today's day and age very often. <laughs> well, this was also more than twenty pages worth of content, I think, right? Um, or, or if it was, it had a lot more text. I'm it, sure it did have more text, but you know what? Unlike a lot of issues back then, where there was a lot of um, narration to explain what was going on, I didn't feel like there was. And this could be the brilliance of Bill Mantlo. I felt like every word I was reading was kind of important. It, whereas a lot of issues that came out back then, I felt like they were just describing what I was watching already. So because they weren't sure of how it was going to print out and everything else. Where this, they may have been doing the same thing, but it came across as important dialect that was going on between characters. There wasn't a lot of actual narration as to what was going on. I, th I think it's interesting. You know, I, I have to be honest, and all the time I've, read and really thought about these books. I, I never really thought a lot about the uh, Star Wars corollary. Yeah. And it's certainly there, but, you know, I do, I think it certainly as you read through more, this thing goes off into its own, its oh, own yeah. being. And, uh, you know, there's some real, there's some heavy stuff, you know, there's oh, death yeah. that actually means something and, and uh, characters don't come back. And, yep. and then it's also very interesting to see as it, as it went along, and maybe it's because, well, we want to get more eyeballs. All of a sudden, you have crossovers with the Fantastic Four yes. and other things going on. So, you know, it's uh, yeah, a tremendous first issue, and yep. God, so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. To, Absolutely. You know, I really recommend, folks, if since you can't get it in trade. I, I don't know, Ryan, you went back and got another run i think at some point right yeah and i found i actually got a full run with the annuals and everything i got for i think 40 bucks yeah it's it's not a it's not a super hard series to to track down i mean i've seen them in no. 50 cent dollar bins and you know i would i think for folks listening to this show i certainly get the first pick up the first 12 issue i think i think that was the original run golden did yeah pick up those first 12 issues that they i think in fact i think that's a complete story if i'm not wrong. I believe that kind of dove it, it. Yeah, it made a logical end to his run on it. 
And yeah, you just can't beat the storytelling. I 100% agree. And I actually did look at it as a standard 32 issue comic um, with, you know, when you add in all the ads and everything else. So, so it's a stand, it wasn't an extra length, but there's a lot of meat that was built into this first issue. So it, it feels longer and not, and again, not in a bad way. It just feels longer because there's, there's a lot of plot points that are set up in this first issue that they just run with. And like you said, the, the series is so much fun. Um, it's, there's, there's so much depth to it. There's humor to it. There's um, there's just fun adventure to it. I think that's what appealed to me when I was a kid and what appeals to me now with it is um, I was obviously, and I still am, a huge Star Wars fan. And it was like, I saw the cover and I was like, there's a group of, small group of characters <laughs> that look like they're fighting against a Darth Vader type character. And that's when we pick up the first issue. And I read it and it, and it is this small band of rebels going against a larger entity and it and they do it in a fun adventurous way much like star wars so that's why my brain always made those connections like that now of course it becomes its own entity completely and we really get some interesting new characters and and everything else that are introduced down the line uh some really interesting stories um there's a of course just like any comic series there's a couple duds here and there but um but then there's some amazing stories in there as well so I really love the entire first run. I am actually trying. I have a few issues of the second run. I'm trying to get all that together before I try to read the second run. I did hear it's not as good, um, but then you don't have the same people uh, helming it. So, did you read the uh, X Men miniseries when it was out? I did. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, being a big X Men fan, and then I was collecting Micronauts. I was like, I this is uh, chocolate. <laughs> this is chocolate and peanut butter coming together. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read that in a long time, but I remember having fun reading it then. Yeah, and I remember Nightcrawler playing a big factor and and having Nightcrawl. I believe if I remember right, Nightcrawler and Bug interacting yes. quite a bit. Yes. So, which is a perfect matchup. So, um, I think that's one of the cool things here too. You know, you the characters they 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 become very well defined. You know, like I said, there there is death. There's bad stuff that happens. Yeah. But Bug is you, tends to be your comic relief, and yep. I love the the fact his the the way they letter his speech yes. and that he t- he has this tick yes. that they they write into the text yeah uh you really it's they very, all, like I said they all have personalities but yep. uh, I guess I probably lean to Bug and Acroy are probably my favorite yeah those are my two favorites you know, so. yeah and I think those became a lot of people's favorites um you know you got Acroyer he's got this like laser sword uh, again no relation to star wars but uh it looks more like a sword though it just happens to be able to cut through a lot of stuff but he's he's so cool looking he's got like he looks like a knight and that was the really cool thing i liked about him um it was just like a modern day futuristic knight uh but still with that same i mean he really does have the same like chivalrous thing that you always you know, fantasize about when you're, when you're thinking about knights in the olden days, that they were always chivalrous. They always did what was right for the sake of doing what's right. That's who Acroyer uh, was, or Acroyer as I used to call him. <laughs> and then Bug, like you said, was that comic relief, but he also was the, the kind of the, like I mentioned, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler was a swashbuckler. It's kind of what Bug was too. He was kind of this guy that flip around and, and fight and everything else. And you're right. I absolutely love the whole little tick thing that they put into his, his wording and it just gets inserted there, which identifies him as an, an alien. Uh, you know, he's not, 
he's not human <laughs> in any way, shape, right. or form. So, um, but yeah, it's just a great, fun first issue. And like I said, the series is a lot of fun. I, you know, we're definitely going to do more. Um, I reread the issue today to make sure that I, I was fresh in my mind and everything. And I, I don't get tired of reading it. Like I could read this first issue over and over again and feel like I get something else out of it and every, each time. So it is, it is definitely well done. Um, looking forward to more and, uh, we got a long haul with it, but Hey, it, it, it'll be a fun ride. So I'm not going anywhere. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Neither am I. So, uh, do you have any, uh, last thoughts when it comes to Micronauts that you wanted to share before we close this one up? No, again, I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're talking Micronauts and, uh, Again, I think we've also opened the door to talk ROM at some point. Yes. But uh, but I cannot recommend enough, I think, to this listening audience, if you have never read this book, go to the next convention somewhere, look in the 50-cent dollar bins, yeah. pull some issues, and just give it a shot because I think you will – I think you'd really enjoy it. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I fell in love with these characters uh, immediately uh, when I read my first issues as a kid, so – it's very hard not to identify with these characters and, and fall in love with them right away. Um, I would think, I actually think that in future episodes when we cover Micronauts, we'll probably cover more than just one issue at a time. So we might cover two or three issues at a time uh, and maybe not go in as much detail, maybe just do an overview of the issues, but then talk about what was happening in those issues. I think that'll be a lot of fun. So, all right, my friend. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, let me go ahead and give our uh, information out, and uh, we will call this an episode. So uh, you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us at theforumforgeeks.com, uh, where you can interact every day. You can also interact with us every day on Facebook. Just look up Starjoes and like us. Uh, we are up to 500 likes on Facebook, which is awesome. Uh, and we are having more people join every day. We're having more people participate on Facebook every day, which is more fun. I love it when posts go up and people have comments to say. Nothing makes me happier than that. Um, we can you find us on Twitter. It's at Star Joe's Podcast. Uh, you can email us at Star Joe's Podcast at gmail.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-JOES. Call whenever it's convenient for you and leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the air and we'll respond to it. Uh, please leave us an iTunes review. You can uh, find Star Joe's on iTunes. It's free on there. You can find every episode we've ever had. And please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. Uh, let's see. You can find us on GeekCast Radio Network. Uh, and you can also find us on Stitcher Radio, where you can, it's a free app for your mobile devices, and you can make Star Joe's one of your favorites on there. So lots of different ways. Uh, to find us, to listen to us, uh, the website of starjoes.com. Actually, you can download and listen right from the website directly if you want to do it that way. So try to make us ourselves as accessible as possible for everybody. So, uh, John, how can they find you or where will you be besides outside my window? No, that is uh, somebody <laughs> else. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at that John Thurmond. You can find me on Facebook uh, I'm also the talent liaison for the Virginia Comic-Con here in Richmond, Virginia. Our next show is May 9th, and in a Micronauts tie-in, Chris Claremont, who wrote some of the uh, new adventures, the second run at Marvel, is going to be our guest. We're excited to have him back in Richmond again. Uh, the X-Men fans out there will know him for probably for that and not for Micronauts, but, uh, but again, sure. we're really excited to have Mr. Claremont back in town. 
Uh, tickets are available at vacomicon.com. Uh, we sell out. Uh, the way we are structured, it is a finite number of tickets, and once they are gone, they are gone. Our February show, who had our pal Shannon Gallant and uh, Kelly Yates, uh, Dan Parent, had some great guests. That show sold out a week or so ahead of time. And so we had some un- unhappy people at the front door, but as we told them, that's how we are set up. That's how we do it, and we think we can put the best show on uh, in, in the area. So, again, vacomicon.com, May 9, uh, I will be there. Uh, I will probably be in a panel again and hopefully not offending the DC Noise Boys again when I do it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, would look forward to seeing everybody there. Oh, yeah, before we close, though. You cannot claim G.I. Joe as a toy line for Marvel. The toy line came first before the Marvel comics came out. That is not an acceptable reason for saying that Marvel does better with the toy lines. I listened to that episode, and Keith said you used that as an example for why Marvel toys were better. The toy line came no, first. No, I, I didn't. What I said, <laughs> the, question for, the question was, Okay. What was I didn't talk about toy lines. Okay. I, toy lines, I've really... Don't, they, they were talking about stuff I had no clue. Gotcha. The conversation was about the, the comics. Or, I'm sorry, it was a kind of initial conversation. My comment was, I'm more of a Marvel fan because of the way they handle properties. Gotcha. And I mentioned G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Micronauts. Gotcha. I should have mentioned ROM. Yeah. But it, I, I did not. I think Keith, if Keith, Keith read will, it that way, that was not, not yeah. the intent. Yeah. The intent, my, my position as the old man on the panel... Right. With a bunch of guys that read a lot more comics than I do anymore <laughs> was, hey, gang, they both put out cool stuff, but I'm more into Marvel because I thought they, they did a better job with the properties, properties gotcha. that they've had over the years. Well, as we That's know, my position, I'm sticking to it. As but we know, it had nothing to do with the quality of the toy line. <laughs> as, as we know, Keith drinks uh, often and he gets his uh, memory. And, 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 and regardless of what those guys say, he did his best to defend DC. Yeah. Short of getting up and smacking somebody, which I appreciate right. that he did not do. He's a better <laughs> man than that. He did a tremendous job as the as the DC spokesperson yes. in that panel. I, I was ambivalent. I claimed that at the beginning yeah. because I think they both do fine stuff. And, of course, my question was how many people at this in this panel room right now or in this panel area read comics on a, on a consistent basis and of the probably – 25 to 30 people in the in the audience maybe three or four raise their hand oh, okay and that's that was my bigger issue sure is that you know you, you if we just want to talk marvel movies or right tv great but you know guys there's there's <laughs> we're having these conventions because of something else right i'm not going to keep rambling so just come to the show next time and tell me you know you can find me in person and we can talk more about it yeah, absolutely that'd be awesome so um, no, I, and I actually applauded Keith for, I actually sent him a text message after I heard the episode and said, thank you for trying to defend DC. Cause I, I love both companies, uh, but gun to my head, I would pick DC, but I, I love them both. Uh, and, uh, I know he did a valiant effort to try to t- try to defend DC. So, um, but with that, I don't think you've ever done the closing with me before. You think you can handle it? Do I say Dallin and sepsis? <laughs> no. <laughs> So with that, we'll go ahead and close by saying the force will be with you. Because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone.
from the world of the Micronauts, Micropolis, a totally new concept in building sets. With these snap-together connectors, your child can easily create dozens of space-age wonders. There are three Micropolis sets. Each combines with the other and with all other Micronaut toys. So he can build anything from a space tower to a galactic fortress, to an entire city complete with monorail. As Micropolis grows, so does your child's imagination. Micropolis by Mego.